رب اشرح لنا صدورنا ويسر لنا امورنا واحدد لنا عقدا من السنتنا قال قولنا ربنا اتنا وفقنا صدق واخرجنا وخرج صدق واجعلنا من لدنك سلطانا اللهم عنا على ذكرك وشكرك اللهم ارفعنا يا الله وارضعنا ابائنا وامهاتنا واولادنا يا الله وتقبلنا برحمتك في عبادك الصالحين Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. We'll discuss uh, a surah entitled The Smoke. Um, once again, we see this pattern in the Quran where surahs, surahs of Allah are intimately connected. Intimately connected. Yeah. There's always, mashallah, you know, uh, Filling me and, and, and nourishing me and remembering me with the, with the waters. So, 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 this pattern of connection between the surahs in the Quran, and there's a collection of surahs called Hawamim that begin with the Hamims, and this is one of them. And they have a particular pattern to them, themes and concepts that they're emphasizing. Very powerful series of surahs. If you recall the last surah, which is intimately connected to Surah Al-Dukhan, do you remember the name of the surah? Zukhruf. Very um, profoundly connected and related to the surah. A surah entitled the Zukhruf. Zukhruf is, um, you know, the, the, the kind of the outward uh, signs of pleasure and joy on this earth. Zukhruf. The ornaments of this, this world. And the theme of that surah is that be careful what you attach yourself to and what you define as worthy. What you define as worthy. The challenge of the human being is that we're constantly seeking after, yearning after things that have no substance in reality to them. But they have the outward manifestation of power, of pride, of, of joy, and we boast about them. And we attach to them and we devote ourselves to them. Allah says, be careful about that. Because all that zukhruf, it's only a matter of time before it disappears. It only, it's only a matter of time before it disappears. And underneath that zukhruf is a greater, more profound reality. Right? And those are the truths that we need to seek after. You know, um, and, and look for in this life. And they're grounded in the message of Allah you know, underneath the sukhraf of this life. The end of that surah, the Prophet was making an effort throughout his life, equipped with the evident signs of Allah and with the Quran, to make things clear for people, right? And make the truth of Allah clear to people. But we've seen the resistance and the rebellion of the Kuffar. And at the height of that rebellion, they were harming him physically. So Allah, the Prophet you know, recorded in his verse at the end of Surah Al-Sukhruf, he says, A lament from the Prophet lamenting the condition of his people and ultimately crying out to Allah. You know, when you're frustrated at the end, especially if you're so concerned about the fate of others around you. Imagine the compassion of Prophet is concerned that these people are not listening, they're not finding um, the, the truth within all of this, they're not able to, to make sense of it, they're not, they're not even willing to listen, they're blinding themselves and it's 
it's stressing him, it's concerning him, it's overwhelming him. So Allah Azza just says concerning Rasulullah his statement that oh my master, oh my lord, those people, they're not believers. And it's it's nonsense. Why how can they not believe? <clears throat> but he's saying it out of grief. Saying it out of grief. So Allah records a statement as if to say, it's known to me. I hear you. I'm aware. So he says, he instructs him at the end of Surah Al-Zukhra by saying, فَصْفَحْ عَنْهُمْ So just no word. Keep a distance from them. Make peace. Be at peace. Pardon. Pardon. Say peace. You have your way, I have my way. Right? The conclusion of this the surah was very powerful and intense. And it's issuing a warning to those who resisted Rasulullah and deliberately chose a path of blindness. So the statement is composed of two words, Fasawfa They shall see. Very simple. They shall see. So wait, they're gonna see. See what? See the thing that they've been trying to resist. They're kind of being in denial of, right? They're choosing to kind of omit this inevitable, certain outcome, certain end to them and to all of this life. So Surah Al-Dukhan comes to do what? Give us detail, give us light over the Sufi What is this that they shall see, right? Surah Al-Dukhan explains it. <clears throat> and the title of the surah itself is a metaphor for it. The surah is entitled Al-Dukhan. Al-Dukhan is what? Smoke. What smoke? So Allah saying in the end of Surah Al-Zukhruf, oh, you're attaching to the Sukhruf of this life, to the ornaments of this life, and you worship it, and you deliberately choose not to listen and not to see? Well, you shall see. You shall see smoke coming. And smoke is a very interesting phenomenon in this life. And we'll talk about it. But it comes to be a representation of the impending doom. You're going to be uh, reduced to dust for sure. Your actions will catch up with you for sure. It's a certain reality. But it's the law of Allah that nothing become, comes before it's what? It's time. Allah will never change his time. Allah will never change his plan. Sometimes, you know, human beings, you have a plan. But if I come and beg you, Give me the chocolate before it's due, before I eat. You might soften a little bit and give it to me. Right? You might fast, you know, hasten the punishment. Right? You might do all kinds of things to change your plans. Does Allah ever change his plan? And the timing of his plan? Never. Never. Because everything is so precisely calculated and so precisely placed in his place. And Allah will not change it for anyone. Including the impending end, the doom, <clears throat> but also the great truths that await the believers. They're going to come in their due time. And Allah will not change his plan, so he's asking us to do what? Settle down and be patient. You shall witness it. And he's telling Rasulullah, you shall witness it. And they're playing with it, they shall witness it. So Surah the Dukhan, and let's summarize the theme here. Speaks of certainty. It's a surah whose theme is about certainty. Certainty of what? Certainty of the promise of Allah. And many of us 
still doubt the promise of Allah. And there are multiple categories of doubters. I mean, people are deliberately doubting because they never want to believe. And these are the kuffar, believers. And Allah is addressing the people of Mecca and human beings in general who are deliberately disbelieving in the promise of Allah because they don't have time for it. They want to play with what? <coughs> the ornaments of this life. They worship it. So they don't, they don't want to think about impending end, next world. This is deliberate. But there are people who are also not sure of anything. They're not sure of anything. And they're not necessarily seeing the truth of all of this. They're also doubting. They might not be deliberately doubting, but they're on, a, on their way, hopefully, inshallah. Also, Allah is talking to them. So this is a surah about the certain truths that Allah has promised, including the truth of the message of Allah Azzawajal, Him being the truth al-haq, the truth of faith, and its certainty. So I guess all of the doubts that the human being chooses to kind of chase after, follow, right? And we've seen Surah Al-Zuhra, Surah Al-Zuhra is all about uncertainty. You know, these people are deliberately resisting the message that is so clear to them. Quran is clear. Rasulullah is very clear. The message of Allah is very clear, but they're choosing to be blind and choosing a path of uncertainty. And what age are we living in now, right now? Age of skepticism. The entire philosophy of the human being right now is about skepticism. It's almost like uh, something to be, to be proud of. You know when you're a skeptic in this day and age? It's something to boast about. It's trying to constantly find <clears throat> holes in anything that even makes sense, and people can become arrogant with it. They boast about it. They boast about their ability to find intellectual arguments against everything that makes sense. And say, aha, I found a hole in it, and I'm going to use my language to kind of uh, uh, um, uh, show off. People literally show off with their language, and it's all about skepticism and doubt. But there's a danger with doubt. Is that doubt leads to another doubt, which leads to another doubt, and suddenly the entire life of the human being becomes life of a life of what? Doubting. Unless it's be careful of constantly doubting and playing around with this. It's a choice. So Allah says, against this life of uncertainty and playfulness and amusement, a mockery, because they're all, by the way, connected to doubting, Allah says you can see and witness truths. The certain promise of Allah's promise, the certain fulfillment of Allah's promise in this world and on the Day of Judgment. Now, the Day of Judgment is called what in Islam? It has many names. And one of them is the Day of what? What is it? Yom al-Fas. the Day of Separation, sorting out truth from falsehood. So falsehood is all about uncertainty and doubt. So there's a day in which all of that will be sorted out, and Allah speaks about it in this, in this, in this surah, but it's also on Yom al-Haq, the Day of Truth. The Day of Certainty, where you and I will never be confused about what is truth, and about what is false. And Allah says, you chose to be deliberately blind. You put yourself in this state of blindness, because you're playing around, you're not real. You know, you're joking around. You think nothing is going to catch up with you. So Allah Azza chooses to name the surah, which is about certainty, the certainty of the 
fulfillment of Allah's promise, the certainty of doom, the certainty of, of this zukhrab, the ornament being reduced to dust, and these nations being reduced to dust, but ultimately the truth of returning back to Allah on a day that is called the day of sorting out, puzzle, separation of truth from falsehood, <coughs> the best representation at that point is smoke. I don't know if you know, subhanAllah, um, well, we all have experiences with smoke, don't we? Right? Smoke can be thick. Smoke can do what to the eye? Make them burn, but also, if nothing else, make you up. Not see. It's a very fascinating sign. So Allah says you're going to witness an evident manifest smoke that begins actually the process of the Day of Judgment. We know about that as one of the major signs of, this, of the Day of Judgment. We'll elaborate more on the signs. And Allah says, this phenomenon of the smoke is going to come to you to terminate all of this life of pleasure, temporary pleasure for you. So the smoke will be manifest when you see it. It's going to be unmistakable. You're not going to be confused. When it comes to you, you're going to be saying, oh my goodness, it is here. But amazingly, the sign of smoke, which in itself is very manifest, it does what to those who chose to blind themselves? It blinds them. Isn't that a befitting end? You chose to be blind and not want to see. Well, suddenly you're going to be engulfed and covered by something that really makes you up, not see. But at the same time, it is what? A sure manifest sign of what? The truth of Allah. And the day of judgment, which is the day of truth. SubhanAllah. So Allah calls a surah the smoke. But we're also going to see that smoke is not just about the smoke that is the great sign of the hereafter. And it's going to come amongst the, the major signs. But there they're, going to, they're also going to experience a mini brief smoke in Mecca. It's going to afflict them. In, in, in one of the interpretations of the scholars, uh, the commentators on the Quran, they say that it might be also a reference to uh, a period of time where the unbelievers in Mecca were experiencing this severe drought and famine. That their eyes became clouded over, that they thought that um, there is this mist and smoke that is building up in the air. Or it might have been the dust being stirred by the wind. Now I can tell you that I, I lived in, uh, in one of the Gulf states, um, Kuwait. I grew up there. So we were very accustomed to dust, dust storms. You've never seen them here. You don't know how bad they are, right? Dust storms are not fun. And we're so used to them. When the dust comes, you can't see. You can barely see and make out things. But they really um, cover your eyes up to them. And uh, the grains of sand enter your eye. You, can, you literally have to shut off your eyes. But occasionally, a massive storm shows up. And Allah, I'll never forget that despite our experience of smoke, I mean, our experience of dust there, and dust storms, and they come frequently, once a week minimum. And then you have an occasionally bad one once a month. I'll never forget one time when we were out playing as kids, and suddenly you see this yellow wave coming. Wallahi, many of us thought it was the day of judgment, and I'm not exaggerating. We've got freaked out, even though we're used to dust storms. I'll never forget it. It's coming like a towering wall yellow, and we're like, this is not a storm. We see dust storms all the time. We're in a desert, right? 
It was coming yellow, like a yellow wall, towering, I swear to you, like a wave in an ocean. And you cannot see the high from like the, the top of Coming to us gradually, and people started just scrambling and, and running back to their home. And I went back home, and I went on the balcony to watch what's going to happen. It's yellow. Look, you see it. It's yellow. And I swear to you, Allah, brothers and it came. It was another dust storm. We didn't even realize. It was so yellow because it was so thick with dust. It covers everything. The world around us, around us turned yellow. And we couldn't see anything. Literally, we could not see anything. Everybody was in their home for several hours. Why when I read the surah, I'm like, with the smoke of Allah shows off, nobody's going to be confused about the power of Allah as subject that makes everything disappear. Even your ability to see is shut off in a split second. So let us, inshallah, begin the surah and see within it the workings of Allah and this consistent message and the parallels between the surah and surah al-Zukhruf. And what is this whole thing about you shall see as manifested by the small So Allah begins the surah again. This is a, one of the hawameens. By uh, saying Hamim, Allah begins the surah with the two letters of Hamim and then takes a note. Because it's a very intense surah that is issuing a warning for everyone who is choosing to live in this life of doubt and not be serious. Allah says, Wal-kitab, By the clear book. Notice the words in the surah are going to be consistent with the concept of what? Certainty. Clarity. Right? Lack of ambiguity. So Allah says, by the book, that is what? He's going to describe it. So within these surahs of Hawameen, Allah elaborates a lot on the nature of the message and on the nature of revelation. He's going, to, he's going to emphasize different features of the revelation. In this, in this case, given that the theme is about certainty as opposed to uncertainty, right? The feature of the Qur'an that is emphasized is one of one. What are you confused about? So by the book, that is Mubin. Mubin is clear, and it also makes what? Things clear. So the question from Allah is, but he's first of all taking an oath. And whenever Allah takes an oath, he's drawing what? Our attention to something that is very important. What is that thing that is very important? He's about to tell us. But first, he's inviting us to um, take a look and just ponder upon his words that this book is clear. It makes things clear. Is there anything else that will make reality as clear as the Quran makes it? Is there anything that is going to resolve our issues of life, existential questions that the Quran does? Would we ever know where we came from and where we're going with certainty without the Quran? Does any other scripture ever explain it, like the Qur'an? Is there any ambiguity? None whatsoever. It is so simple. It is so crisp. It is so clear. And Allah is taking an oath by it. He is indeed the source of this revelation. And Allah is al-haq. Isn't he? Allah is al-haq, the truth. The reality is all with Allah Azza wa Jalla. So everything he says has to be what? Clear and connected to the truth. Was asking, are you very, are you really confused about this? And what is it that is making you confused but your wins and your desires? So after the oath, he's gonna declare statements. 
And he's drawn our attention to, and it's about also the book. So he takes a note by the book that is clear, and then makes a statement about the book that he wants to draw our attention to. And it is in verse 3 where he says, <laughs> We have surely revealed this book. He's reminding us of the source of revelation, which is Allah. So you're doubting this? Sufficient for you to and me, for you and me to know that this, these are the words of Allah, the creator, the sustainer of the heavens and the, and the world and the, and the earth. And it's a big deal. Allah said, Inna anzana. We are the ones who reveal this. How can you be doubting and playing with this? Play with something else, but don't play with the word of Allah. It's divine. And the source of it is up there in the heavens. And in another surah, we've seen how it was uh, described as the mother of the books. Or the mother of the book, that it was the highest, the most exalted in where? In the preserved tablet. Are you joking with this? Are you playing with this? It is the highest, most exalted word of Allah. And even amongst the scriptures, it is the most exalted of Allah describes it as an hakim. As that book that is revealed from him. And then he says, when he revealed it. And he revealed it when? So it's drawing our attention now. In the previous story, he drew our attention to where it came from. Here he draws our attention to not only where it came from, but the timing of its revelation. And it was when? In the answer now, We revealed it. We um, brought it down on a night that is full of barakah. When is that night? <laughs> so is it mentioned here as Laylatul Qadr? It is not mentioned as Laylatul Qadr. The, the, the word Qadr is not mentioned here. So he's not telling us really Laylatul Qadr in this surah. But he's saying it's a night that is full of barakah. So first, um, a word on barakah. What is barakah? Unimaginable good that you cannot logically produce on your own. Or with the resources that you have. It's inexplicable magnitude of good. It can come out of very little. It is coming out of what's around us and so also from within. So Allah says it is revealed in a night. It was revealed in a night that brings this abundant, inexplicable good in everything, including from who? Within you. Right? We know to be the end of the Do you notice the amount of good that we produce in Ramadan in general? And then in the last 10 nights, and then in Laylatul Qadr, we show up with our best. Who elicited that good from you and me? Allah. Laylatul Barakah. You see yourself, I see myself as doing things we've never done. Producing a good we've never experienced in our lives. Evident testimony of the promise of Allah. It's a Laylatul full of blessings. Don't miss it. Blessings is abundant good. Go attain it and and grab it before it's too late because it's going to happen. There's other blessings, but this night is especially known and uh, especially chosen by Allah to contain as a vessel incredible, unimaginable good. How do we know that it's made of God? What's one, way, one, one rule about the Quran and interpreting the Quran and understanding the Quran? Is that you never ever understand one phenomenon that Allah talks about in one place. You have to do what? Explore the whole Qur'an and connect the pieces. Allah's taking you on a journey in the Qur'an. 
That's why the Quran can never be understood in singular verses. You have to under, it has to be understood as a whole. So in another, and Allah sprinkles these verses appropriately based on the context. That's it. But He wants to challenge our intellects to reassemble the Quran, to reassemble the verses and the meanings that it becomes a, a whole cohesive. <coughs> he teases us. So another surah called Layla Surah al He tells us, "Inna anzalnahu fi Layla Mubaraka." No, fi Layla al We revealed it in Layla al the night of power decree. So in this surah, we know that it's Layla al but in Surah al-Dukhan, we know that it's also what a Layla full of Baraka. Then how I know that Layla al-Qadr is in Ramadan, or maybe Layla al-Qadr is in Shaban? Maybe it's in Muhammad. Maybe it's in Rabi al Awwal. How do I know it's in the. Does Surah Al Qadr tell you that it's in Ramadan? Does Surah Al Dukhan tell you it's in Ramadan? Then what Surah tells you it's in Ramadan? Exactly. What's the verse? 185. Allah Akbar. Don't joke with him. Okay? Shahru Ramadan, Alladi, Unzila Fiyuqa. Allah says, the month of Quran in which. Quran was revealed. He mm. doesn't tell us a night. He just tells us the Ramadan in which Quran was revealed. Oh, suddenly here in Surah Al-Qadr, you hear that it's a little but full of blessings. You assemble the three verses and you have what? Layla Al-Qadr is in Ramadan. It's a night in which Quran was revealed and it's full of barakah. Very simple. Beautiful methodology of the Quran. And it really invites us to explore and deepen our efforts with the Qur'an. It's not going to just jump at you. You have to really make an effort with the Qur'an. Talking about efforts, the theme from the last surah. It's not going to just come to you. It's not, as Brother Qur'an says, flat line. You're going to sink. Even if you're understand, keep visiting and the meanings will jump out at you. Depending on your efforts with the Qur'an. And the now now means one descent. Not continual, gradual descent. So there are two descents of the Qur'an. Allah speaking of the time when it was brought down from the preserved tablet under the throne of Allah to what? The lowest heaven. The lowest heaven. That act of taking the revelation of the Quran out of the preserved tablet, Lord, brought down by the angels of Allah to the lowest heaven took place in what night? And from that place, repository in the lowest heaven, it was subsequently revealed to Rasulullah over a period of 20 years. Now that act is referred to in, 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 in Arabic as Yunesin. He continually reveals. So Yunesin versus Anzal. Anzal is one time. Yunesin is continual. Right? So you know from the verb what he's talking about. So here he says, Anzalnahu, referring to the act of lowering the Quran, bringing down the Quran in, in, in one shot over a brief period of time. When he says, Yunazid, it means the continual revelation that took place over 22 years. Allah goes on now to um, provide us with further details about this Quran. He says, Within that night, by virtue of what was revealed in it, something amazing happens. Remember, the theme of the surah is certainty and making things clear 
as opposed to the deliberate doubting that the human being chooses to put himself into, Allah says of that not everything has been explained. Fiha, within this revelation and within this night, every wise command of Allah has been made distinct. This is an extraordinary thing. Allah is telling us there is not a matter of importance except that it was settled on that night. Think about it. All existential questions that we have about life, the meaning and purpose of life, where we came from, why this universe, why this earth, and where we're headed, and about the reality that lies beyond this world, where else would you find an answer to them except on that night? Once and for all, it set the record straight and everything in very simple language that everybody understands. Allah is stating it in verse 4. What else do you need to say? Right? How can you, after all these questions have been made very distinctly clear by the command of Allah, by His revelation, be doubting it? Right? But also, it's, it's an amazing thing because He says, in verse 5, it says, as a command from our presence in the Kunna Musri, we're the ones who continually reveal. Allah says, Amra min Aidina. Everything that we experience in our lives, everything about our provision, what you attain, what you don't attain in this world, comes as a result from a command of Allah. So Allah's commands are continually descending into this whole world to regulate and run its affairs, including each cell in your body. Every single thing that happens in terms of, you know, when the rain comes down and when it doesn't, how many drops of rain, how much money you get in this life, how much health, illness, number of days you live, who you marry, how many children, their temperaments, your color, all these affairs come down as a result or as a consequence of what? Amr. Command from Allah, which is what? Kun. And it is. So Allah is reminding us, everything you experience is not a random thing. It descends on you like rain from the heavens revealed from Allah as a result of His commands. Now they're carried by the angels of Allah. Right? They distribute the provision of Allah Azza wa That's what we even hear about Laylat al-Qadr. It's an item that you and I need to show up on because of what we stand to, because it's a consequential night and we stand to gain a lot or gain a lot or lose a lot. What happens is that night, according to the narration um, of Rasulullah is that the commands of Allah come down also on that night concerning what? The provision of the next year. Can you imagine? So Allah decrees the provision. It's already been decreed. But it's communicated, sent to a command this earth on that night, and one of the determinants of what can happen to the human being, because ultimately we we have a Allah is, is, is part of his blessing is that he, he gave us choice and the ability to influence what also can happen. Some of what happens is beyond our control, but some of what happens is also in our hands. We determine outcomes by virtue of our choices. Allah says that provision is also dictated by your presence that night. SubhanAllah. It's an extraordinary phenomenon that happens at that night. 
All of it is summed up by the verse Amran min al-Indina, a command from Allah Azza wa Jalla. And Allah Azza wa Jalla says, "Rahmatan min Rabbika." Why reveal the Quran? Why make things very clear? Why send Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam? What's the purpose of the Quran? What is it about? Ultimately, Allah answers this question of why the Quran, why Allah is doing all of this with one word, Rahmah. It's a merciful Allah. It's an act of mercy. Our gathering today, act of mercy from Allah. Us reading this book of Allah, act of mercy from Allah. Allah is saying, I'm, I'm doing all of this. I'm guiding you. I'm making things clear to you because I'm very merciful with you. Because of the intense, infinite, boundless care and mercy of Allah. And Allah is making us know this. He wants us to know He's infinitely merciful. He's very caring. That's why he's sending this. It's not to, to make life difficult. It's not because he hates human beings and wants to burden them. If anything, Allah is very merciful, and that's why he's sending this. Imagine. So oftentimes we struggle with our children. When we tell us, why are you making things difficult? Why are you making things difficult? And you would hope for them to understand it's your mercy with them. Because you care for them so much. You, don't, you want them to do well in life. That you do this discipline with them, right? You give them these responsibilities. Allah is telling us, It is a mercy from your Lord, from your Lord. Now, he's the hearing, the infinitely hearing, the infinitely knowledgeable. Then he tells, reminds us of who he is. And reminds the kuffar, the unbelievers who are in that state of doubt about who Allah is. He says, he says, let me remind you who the source of all of this is. The master, nourisher, lord of the heavens and the earth and what is between them. In if you really see, if you really have any certainty, you will see who is behind all of this. But it's also um, a statement of wonder. It's a reminder to you and me and everyone, especially those who are denying Allah of what they're missing out on. It's an extraordinary portrait to have Allah as our Lord. What an extraordinary thing. It's the ultimate gift. The ultimate na'mah is that our master, the one we report to, the one we are a servant of, is the master of what? Rabbi the master of the heavens and the earth. Wow. What an amazing thing. Not a mediocre partner or what they claim to be a partner of God, not of any God we create, not earth, not zokhruf, not ornaments that disappear. Wow, the Lord and the Master of the heavens and the earth is your Rabb and my Rabb directly without an intermediary. Allah saying, isn't that a big deal to you? Don't you see the magnitude of how extraordinary this is? Beautiful statement of Ramadan, the powerful one that sent this, the powerful one that we've been honored to be created by. And the powerful one that we're honored to be a servant of and to believe in. It's an honor, badge of honor. And Allah is inviting them to this honor again and this certain truth. There is no truth but this. And if you don't grab onto him, what do you grab onto? Remember, this is a, a sort of uncertainty and safety. Everything, everything in life disappears. What do you grab onto? What is the only thing that has safety in it? What is the word about believing in Allah in Arabic? Iman. What is Iman? It's, you know, etymologically, 
linguistically, it's derived from a from a three-letter word. What is it? Um. um what is um? Safety. Uh, the only sure safe thing in existence is grabbing onto it. That's it. Do you notice everything disappears? Everything connected to this cord of believing in Allah is real, is certain, is safe. It's something that will surely protect you and it doesn't disappear. Unlike the ornaments of this life that disappear. Including every relationship that is grounded and rooted in this cord of faith in Allah shall remain and shall not disappear. So when Allah was promising, you shall see, you shall see what? That everything disconnected from this faith shall what? Come to its doom, shall come to its end, it shall perish and be reduced to dust. SubhanAllah. It's an amazing, extraordinary statement of Allah Azza wa Then he says, La ilaha illahum. No God but He, no truth but He, indeed. Allah settling the matter and He settled it on Laylat al when He revealed this Quran. Don't be confused, He Don't create any gods with me. Don't give me partners. Don't come up with your own laws. Don't come up with your own guidance. Don't follow the ornaments and give them value and worth. I am the one who gives you the ultimate, durable, permanent value and worth. And it can only happen for Allah Azza wa La ilaha illa So when you see La ilaha illallah, how many of us come up with these insights? What does La ilaha illallah mean to you? We say it frequently, but do we reflect deeply on the power and the implications of La ilaha Illallah. Is it for you and me that really no one worthy of worship and adoration but Allah? No truth but Allah? No one, as he says here, who gives life and death. He's the source of everything and he has utmost absolute control over everything, including the most important, which is life and death. Life and death. The very ones who rebel against him, their lives are in his hand. Allah is not present for a second with all be dead. And he gives it and he sustains it as a trust. And then he takes it away. He says, and I'm your Lord, and I'm the Lord and the master of your parents, and their parents, and their parents. Meaning mean what? He's always been there. He'll always be there. He doesn't just show up occasionally, right? He's not present now. He's always been present, eternal. No beginning and no end. But their state is what? Against all of these certainties. They're reminded of, and by the way, this going to remind us of the workings of Allah. Remember last time, you know, the Surah Al-Zukhra, where Allah said, your rebelliousness, your evil, will never change the workings of Allah, especially with reminding you. Meaning that Allah will always work, continually remind you, over and over and over because of His grace. It doesn't matter how rebellious we become, by the way, how resistant, Allah will continually Send down the reminders of life through revelation, but also through the experiences of life that summon you back to Allah, including trials. Isn't it true? Trials humble us. Guess what? It's a reminder from Allah. It's an act of grace from Allah. So Allah here, He says, despite all these powerful reminders that are so clear, that make the meanings of life clear, that make the truth clear, that won't be shifted. Guess what their status? They are in shak, shak is love. Now, but not just good doubt. Sometimes we're confused and we're down and we're not sure. That's okay. If you open your heart and your intellect, 
you shall find out the truth. Right? It's only matter as long as what's a condition? As long as the heart is open, as long as the heart is intentional and desires to learn. If we're arrogant, right? If we're proud, too proud to learn, we'll never learn. We'll be stuck. Correct? And decline. Allah says, no, 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 no. They're choosing to be in a state of doubt while what? They're not real. They're playing around. What was their reaction to Rasulullah Making fun of them. So they're not just saying, you know what? I'm just not understanding the message really. Can you please sit down and explain it to me? Did they say this? No. They deliberately rejected it, but they're toying around with the message and they're mocking it and making fun of it. They call it magic, they call it poetry, and they call Rasulullah a madman. Because if he's mad, Majnun in Arabic is, you know, the word Jannah is related to Majnun, by the way. You know that? You know that? You're like, what? No. But they're both originate from the same, same verb. Jannah, Jannah. What is Jannah? Jannah, in Arabic, it means to cover. That which is covered. So what do you know about Jannah? It is what? Concealed from what? Everyone who's out of it, outside of it. It's covered up with its lush gardens and its gates. That no one outside can ever see inside. You know the mansions here, that are the high walls? Or the trees to ensure that you don't see. Right? To ensure. That's like a Jannah. It's internal. To speak of its, its, its special hidden beauty. So it's covered up from the outside. What about Majnun? What's covered about the Majnun? What's covered? His intellect has been covered. That's, that's why it's called in Arabic Majnun, related to Jannah. And there's another uh, category of creation that has some, that is described by a word or a name related to Jannah and Majnun. So what is jinn? What's the relationship between jinn and covered? Do you see them? Some people tell you, yeah, I see them all the time. <laughs> all the time, hear them all the time. I'm not, okay. Who knows a sound, right? Jinn means that which is covered from the side of human beings. That's why they're called jinn here. So they call this whole side of the So if his intellect is covered, how can I listen to him? So they already created the argument and the excuse to blind themselves. So they're yalabun. They're not really, really doubting. They're messing around and they're toying around. So what is the consequence of deliberately playing around and messing around with the message of Allah and the truth? So they worship this ornament of this world and they create the evil that they've created. What's the consequence? What's the appropriate end? This surah is entitled what? Dukhan. So Allah in verse 10 issues the warning, which is fitting and and, and fits and, and complements the last verse of Surah Al-Zuhr, which is they shall see. So verse 10 comes to answer, answer us as to what they'll see. So watch, he's telling Rasulullah and he says, watch and let them watch for the day. When the heavens, when the sky brings forth what? Dukhan Mubin. Dukhan, smoke that is what? Mubin. It's like actually contradictory terms. What did we see in the Surah that was described as Mubin? 
or Mubin. Who else is described as Mubin? Rasulullah You make things clear. And he says, guess what? You're going to see and witness it's only a matter of time decreed by Allah and it will not change. The timing will not change. Watch for the day when the heavens, when the, when the, when the sky brings forth a smoke that is Mubin. That is clear. And it will make things clear. SubhanAllah, how does it make things clear? And how can smoke be clear? Smoke is not clear, brother. Physically speaking, you can't see. But yet Allah says, well, given the fact that this is the fulfillment of my promise, when you see it, you'll know what? Oops, the promise of Allah is clear. So the sign, the, the smoke becomes a metaphor for this. So even though it's physically uh, blinded, it is a clear sign for the eye of the heart. Oh my God, it's real. It is coming. I don't know what I'm like, danger it, right? It wasn't. Right? But it was a powerful reminder about the power of Allah. Right? Evident sign from Allah. Now, the, the commentators speak of two, they're different in interpreting what that smoke was. A group of them said, this is the smoke that is one of the signs of the day of judgment. Because Rasulullah spoke of a great smoke that will come and cover people, afflict them, before, right before the Day of Judgment. And other signs, like, can you guys name them for me? Other great signs of the Day of Judgment. So there's a smoke, said, how are we gonna know that the Day of Judgment is, is, is right there around the corner? First of all, it is close. The Bi'atah of Rasulullah, the Prophet being sent as a messenger is one of the signs, but it's a minor sign. So you have a group, like a large collection of minor signs and then few big signs. The smoke is one of the big signs, meaning that when it shows up, know that the day of judgment is going to happen. Only a matter of days or weeks. That's it. What else is there? What other signs are there? The great signs. Exactly. So one of the latter signs is that the sign instead of rising from the east is going to rise from the west. What else? Who else is going to show up? Yeah, the Jad, the imposter, Messiah. Who else? Isa alayhi salam is one of the major signs. What else? Other things that are not pleasant will show up. Like what? The beast of the earth. There's the beast that will come out. Right? What else? You know, Yajuju Majuj? That's one topic of Yajuju Majuj. Gakamagak will show up, will appear, and it will not be a pleasant experience for whoever is experiencing them. Who else? So there are three uh, sinkings of this earth. Some interpret it as major landslides. East and west and in the middle. Major landslides. What else happens? <coughs> a great fire in Yemen. Yeah. A great fire in Yemen is also one of the uh, signs. What else? Anything else that comes to mind? So this is kind of a brief reminder about the great signs that will come. And one of them is that great smoke that Allah says will come and cover people. How will the believers experience it? Rasulullah says, not in the same magnitude. He says, for the believers, it will touch them like an intense cold wind. That's it. So they'll be they'll be annoyed by it, like a cold wind, but that's about it. For the disbeliever, it will cause them a great affliction. It will penetrate them and cause them a great affliction, appropriate ending to what? The state of blindness that they choose to live in. Make sense? Make sense? Now, other group of interpreters or commentators said it's also referring 
No, it's referring to a time of the famine that afflicted Mecca. So there was a time in which a severe famine afflicted them and they were so hungry. They were so hungry that their eyes got clouded over and, and the dust was stirred up and there was this cloud of dust around them that covered them completely. Why would Allah do that? Sending them a brief trial to do what? Shake them up and wake them up. So that was actually a blessing and a mercy from Allah. When Allah sends us trials, including illnesses, including loss of provision, loss of jobs, any challenge in life where you really become powerful, powerless, helpless, on the brink of despair, it's a summons from Allah to come back. It's a summons to come closer. But not necessarily mean a person is bad. No, it doesn't. It's to bring us closer or remind us and wake us up to get our act together. Right? So Allah is so merciful. Remember, it came from the merciful one. So he sent them this brief trial to torment them briefly so that they wake up and remember Allah. Now Allah tells us, what's the reaction of the human being when they're afflicted? Even the disbeliever, when they're about to drown or the plane is about to fall, everybody starts to do what? Praying. Right? Oh God, oh God. Oh, wait a minute, you didn't believe in God. How come you're saying even the word? Rabbi. God. It comes out of the word of the mouth naturally because it's filled it's instinct. So when we see the ornaments of blood disappearing and our, our lives are about to perish, we instinctively call out to Allah. And Allah describes our nature. He says, they will say, Allah, relieve us of this torment. Right now, we're believing. But as soon as that disappears, the brief trial disappears, what do they do? Revert back to their old ways. They're never serious. And Allah describes his nature to him being they're not remembering. They're pretending to remember. And a messenger came to them, but they're not remembering. So if this Rasulullah was so clear, speaking your language, he brought the evident clear revelation that makes everything clear. If despite all of this, you're still unclear, and that means you're a Jew, right? Your intellect is covered, that's it. And one day you're going to find the smoke. The smoke of this life and the smoke of the next one. And we'll lose everything, including us, to dust. And Allah says, On the day when we seize them, this powerful, mighty blast. He's speaking of every nation that, that they believe in Allah. Allah says, how many more signs do you need? So in this surah now, he speaks of one nation. He's speaking to Quraysh. He's saying to Quraysh, don't be like them. They're caught up and worship a zuhraf. Ornaments. What, what did the last surah speak about? One nation. And it spoke about how the leader of that nation boasted about his power and boasted about his wealth. Who was he? What did he say? Oh, people, don't you see the rivers flowing underneath my palace? Don't you see the great kingdom that I own? What is he doing here? Boasting. Because he thought that power is attached to what? Is to the resources that he has. Right? And he's boasting about them. And then he said, look at this. For him, that was God. The resources. Right? He said, are you going to listen to um, uh, a lowly person, Musa, who cannot even articulate? He has this poor background. He has nothing. Nothing physical. So because he has no material wealth 
and no power, no status, he's worthless. That's the dictionary and the logical Musa. But how many people have this logic today? How many of us might be actually claiming Islam? But also our hearts are attached to this concept that the worth of human beings and my worth is proportional to what? My social status, my wealth, my power, my relationships. What do I do? What degrees I have, etc. 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 Those are the things that determine my worth, and we boast about them. Allah says, you know who boasted about this before? Faraon. In this story, he's not going to talk about talk to us about the boasting of Faraon. What do you think he's going to talk about? This is a surah that explains what? You shall see. So it's going to explain to us what Faraon saw, which is what? He dropped. And he saw with his, with his own eyes. The smoke came to him, but it was not in a form of dust in the air. It was in the form of what? Two sides of the sea crashing on him. And he was so blind, he walked through it. Then he didn't see it because he was so blind that it came down crashing on him with the command of Allah that came from the heaven. And at that point, he said, What? Well, I believe, I believe. But it was too late. He wasn't really believing, right? Oh, I believe in the Lord of Musa. He wasn't believing. And it was too late for him anyway. So Allah is reminding all of us about this and reminding which nation? Quraysh. Now, this happened 1400 years ago. Who was he speaking to? Quraysh is telling Quraysh, don't be like Fir'aun, reduce the dust before you believe. Did they do this? Majority did it. Many did it. Many did it. For those who did it, they became as what? For us reading the Surah today, the lesson. Make sense? For them, Fir'aun was the lesson, but they didn't learn it. Today, Allah's not just talking about Quran, but He's also talking about who? Quraysh. The ones who received this revelation. And many didn't learn the lesson, and for us today, they're gone, and they become an evident sign. Mubid. So the story of Quraysh becomes Mubid for us, showing us the fulfillment of the promise of Allah, how it never fails, how everyone shall meet the consequences of their actions and their choices. Allah, Allah, as the that doesn't change. Then Allah ends the surah beautifully, and we'll talk about it, inshallah, a um, couple of concepts. concepts. First, he's talking about Quran and all of those who attach themselves to the ornaments of this life. He says, Don't you see, visibly see, um, the evidence of this that whatever they attach themselves to, they left behind? So they're, they're perished, but whatever they left behind? The gardens and the houses and the wealth and the bank accounts. And what happened to them? It got inherited by something else. So how can you worship them? And it still stands as a sign of their presence. To this day we see the pyramids, right? To this day we see the Babylonian uh, uh, remains, the remains of civilization in the West and the East and the Chinese and the European. <coughs> Allah left them behind as signs of their presence. The fact that even if they believe their lives are over, life ends. This is the son of Allah. It's not going to be here. Our lives shall come to an end. It's the promise of Allah. It's truth. Allah says, don't you see it? Passed on to. So how can you worship it? And Allah tells us, it's beautiful. Verse 38, where he says, وَمَا خَلَقْنَا السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا لَعِبِينَ So the concept of play is present in the surah. Doubt and play. You know how many people, you know, this existential question, why this universe? 
What's the purpose and meaning of it? To this day, it's debated philosophically. Allah sums it up with an answer resolutely in verse 38 where he says, We did not create the heavens or the earth and what is in between. It means all creation, da'i, playful, just as an act of play. How do we think about this one? I'll give you an example. I and mean, people say, nah, nah. Sure, Allah says, think in your own life. A mini structure within life we create. For example, I'm just going to give you an example, my own way of understanding this verse. I will create a car, produce a car, right? It's a very sophisticated 20 cylinder car. Not even. Four cylinder car. Three cylinder car. Doesn't matter. A motorcycle, bicycle. I make that and it's the first ever. Then I go and put it behind the window in ICCP in the kitchen. And I see the purpose of this bicycle, this three cylinder car, is for you to admire it every day. Just look at it behind the glass. What will you say? It's crazy. You make that clearly as a purpose, but the purpose here is to just look at it, take a picture with it. What if I said, I'm going to create a, we produce these spaceships, but we're going to put them where? In the space museum. That's it. So the whole purpose of spending billions of dollars is to put that rocket in the Air and Space Museum for people to look at it. Would you believe that? Never. See, what, what was the point then of making all that effort, spending all that time, all that energy, all that money for a rocket that really works, but I'm not going to put it into space. I'm going to actually put it behind the window for you to look at it. What is this? Are you fools? I created the heavens. And look at the sophistication of the heavens and the earth. Look at the operation of the rain and the clouds and the earth that rotates and the interplay between the planets and the cells and the plants and the hair and the heart that beats. All that just free to just toy around with it and play with it. It has no purpose. What did I play? Come on. He says, use your common sense, your intellect. You even produce things, yet you decide to have purpose. But suddenly the bigger things... And imagine how big the heavens and the earth are. They're beyond imagination. Have no purpose, no point, no, no place, and no meaning. Clearly, the answer is resolute. Absolutely, that purpose. And the purpose is Allah and Sojah. Sums up really the surah. And it really it invites all of us to think about how we think. For those of us who are still struggling with the question, not us here, but those who are struggling, they cannot, they don't, many don't want to think. And Allah has a surah beautifully. First, by describing the punishment, the penalty, for those who deliberately choose this life of doubt, of unbelief. Very awful consequence. It's a law of Allah. Evil meet its end. But then, in contrast with this, beginning with verse 51, till, you know, for a couple, three, four verses, Allah says, in contrast to the penalty and the doom that meets those who choose to live, with doubt and blindness. The opposite of that is what? Safety. So he says, in the Remember the theme of the surah is certainty. Protection. What is the greatest fear that unsettles us in this life? Fear of death. And death means what? Loss of everything. Loss of even the things that we adore, that Allah blessed us with. I mean, we worship Allah, but still we're afraid of what? our children, losing our spouses, our parents, losing the joy and the peace, losing the relationships. Isn't it true? 
We're afraid of losing this. Allah answers it resolutely, clearly, by assuring us that you will never lose anything with Allah. So he says, in the Muttaqeen, the God-conscious are where? He maqam ameen. Maqam is what? Station or abode that Allah describes fittingly, appropriately, it's appropriate and consistent with the theme of the surah, in a station in an abode that is what? He didn't say beautiful. He said ameen. What does that mean? What does that mean? I said, where is it? Amin is what? You shall not fear anything. You're not going to lose anything. Safe from what? He didn't tell us here. Safe from everything. Safety from what? And check this out. Allah guaranteed it. You live the life of certainty and hung on to the truth and believing in the truth, in that anchor. Allah has it. And He didn't mess around with it. He didn't choose to blindly ignore it, neglect it, and be in a state of doubt, playing around, messing around. Allah says, as a consequence of this, you're not going to see the smoke that unsettles you and this doom. No, no, no. You're going to be safe. Once you exit out of this experience that is painful, Allah says, Ameen, you're going to be protected from anxiety. Completely. No anxiety. From that moment of separating from this life. No fear. No grief. No concern. No worry about losing anything. Everything you shall attain from that point on is what? Well. It will be with you for how much time? Eternity. So Allah says, everything you wish shall be delivered to you. Every joy, every home that you have, every relationship, your children will be back, your parents will be back, the love with them, can it ever disappear? Even on this earth, I'm going to ask you, brothers and sisters, even with our families, they're present with us and our friends, are we always having that stable feeling that they're always going to be awesome with us? Seriously. How often does it come to you and me, the feeling that, hmm, will my children be there for me? Right? Will my wife, husband love me always? Aren't there moments when we have uh, uh, some some rancor, some some bitterness towards each other? Are we always like feeling super awesome with each other, nonstop, and we're not worried about the relationships? We're always worried, aren't we? That's the nature of life. Because the hearts carry these illnesses. Jealousy, envy, life happening that breaks the relationship that causes them some rupture. Allah says, in that, on that day, from that day on, the day of judgment on, for the believer, I'm going to extract from their hearts all rancor, all envy, all jealousy, that nothing will intrude on you to destroy that love and peace in its permanent and its eternal. Enough for us to know this. Enough for us to know this. And then Allah, as I just says, He gives us a tasting of it. He shall be even dressed, attired in this fine silk and brocade, and they're going to be mutaqabilin. The believers in Jannah are going to be facing each other. Remember in this life, what did people boast about? I'm higher than you. I'm ahead of you. I'm number one. Etc. 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 Are there number one and two in Jannah? By the way, there are levels, yeah, but when you're with your gap, is there is there anybody ahead of anybody? No. Allah assembles the believers in Jannah such that they're all facing each other. Nobody's ahead, nobody's behind. There's no jealousy, there's no envy, there's no exclusiveness. It's permanent, eternal, growing joy and stability and peace 
Then Allah says, they shall attain everything they desire and beyond, beyond their imagination. And this is the ultimate fear that they have, which is fear of death. But I can have Jannah, and I can lose it. Allah guarantees you, you'll never lose Jannah, you'll never exit. How much time, Allah? Eternal. We don't even understand the concept of eternity. Never, ever, ever. And Allah says, Fadlan min Rabbik. All that is about you, Allah, you didn't hurt it. I didn't hurt it. But we need to strive. It's an indispensable condition. However, what gets us in is what? Rahmatullah. It's an act of love and compassion and mercy from Allah who guided us, who give us this ultimate abode that is eternal because He wants good for the human being. And He cares for the human being. Then He says in the conclusion of the surah, he says, we facilitated and made easy the recitation of this Quran. You notice the Quran is easy to recite, even for the non-Arabic speaker. Isn't it easy to memorize? It's yeah, you can say difficult, but really it's easy. If you put in effort, it's not like memorizing a, a normal book. Do you see the flow of it? Do you see the rhythm that carries your soul to the heavens and softens your heart and heals you? Allah says, we made it that easy. And beautiful for the eye, for the eye, for the ear, for the heart that they can remember. That's the purpose. For them to remember and see the distinct characteristics of the Quran that defines it, that, that separates it from normal speech. Then he concludes the surah by saying, What? What was the end of the last surah? They shall know. Then he tells the Prophet, and once again, what? So be on the watch. Be, for everything that I've described here, he says, be on the watch. You shall witness the fulfillment of it, and they're going to witness it too. They're on the watch too. Alhamdulillah. We shall open the phone for comments and questions. has not decided the fate of the human being. Human being, Allah says everybody's fate is passing to their next. It's ultimately reduced to their actions. They determine. Allah has given us choice. But Allah is infinitely aware and infinitely knowledgeable, just as beyond. From our normal experience, a father or mother who knows their children intimately can tell you the child is going to do that. You're the path, you're going to fail. I can see it. And even the temperaments and the moods of the child, they say, hey, my child's going to do this, my child's going to do that. Human beings, from little experience of life, we know what human beings can do or will do. Imagine the knowledge of Allah that is infinite. Allah has no past, present, or future, right? It's all one for Allah. 
He's intimately familiar and aware of every single thing we have done, we do, and we will do. That's why he knows how he knows our faith and he's written it. Because he knows exactly what choices we will make because he's Allah. Yet the choices are, are really ours. And remember Allah, some people misunderstand this concept of guidance. Allah does not misguide people until they choose misguidance. And he says, he guides whoever wants guidance. And misguides whoever wants and is bent on misguidance. So Allah doesn't decide to misguide people from the No. But he knows our natures and the choices that we need. That's why it's been written originally. Now, other is very complex and profound. We'll never understand it. Philosophy's going to be Thank you very much. Now, this is going to forever. Ever, and you're still like, how can you understand? I can borrow the word, there's no light to the mind of God. And other controls everything that happens on the earth. Do you think a human being with limited intellect can comprehend the decrees of Allah and its wisdom and its operation? It's like asking a five-year-old to understand supercomputers. It's like, how can they understand supercomputers? Does that make sense? However, here's what one thing that I that help you understand. It. I, I see Qadr as like um, there are things that are already determined. First of all, there are things that are outside of our control. Allah has decided them. I'm out of here. Um, um, you know, uh, for example, how many leaves on that tree? How you know, uh, intelligent human being, how smart, how, how tall or short, who they'll marry, etc. etc. Even though we have choices, but it's been determined. We are parents, your blood type, etc. But there are things that are coming down to choices. And there are things that are coming down to dua. And we heard of the, the hadith that says that dua can change qadr. It really doesn't, it's just words. It doesn't really change qadr. Qadr can also be in addition to the things that are already determined. Like a mesh. Allah, his, his wisdom is as if beyond comprehension. He created this sophisticated computer program with a mesh. You know the if then statements? Chavez, you know, scratches his beard right now, you know, he's gonna feel good. If he doesn't, he's gonna itch. If then, if I choose to wake up this morning when I pray for I didn't show up here and benefit. If I stay sleeping, mm, it's gonna be not a very good day. Right? If there's demons, and it's hanging, dependent on what? The choices. So Qadr is that way. Allah already figured it out and gave us these choices and paths like a mesh computer program. Whenever we choose, make a choice, we go on one of those paths that is already determined. We cannot escape the mesh. Make sense? So it's one of the choices. Dua, Allah saying now, it's not necessarily the change of Qadr. But instead of going here because of like a certain path that you're headed, Ra can alter it and go on this alternate route. That's it. Make sense? So instead of eliciting the outcome of this path, you go on this path. It's a mesh already determined by Allah. So it's determined by choices and it's also dictated by the paths, by the du'as that we make. That's why it's, we need to make du'a and make choices as well. Um, that's a very superficial, simplistic Look at it. So here, it's like a 
So, so it is a really very important point you made to someone. You know when they say like you control your qadr as well, like Allah, yes, there's his will and there's our will. And they're meshed together. That's out of the mercy of Allah. He gave us will. It's manifesting as we live life. Manifesting the choices as we experience and choose life and where we go, the qadr is manifested, but it's all known to Allah. But it's all about this mesh. There's literally like a book being, as you open it, you witness what's in it. But it's you opening it. Make sense? So it's manifesting as we experience life and make the choices in life and wallahi, we decide which direction it's going by our choices. But there are things in it that are not in our choice. Make sense? So it pulls both realities within it. See why it's very difficult to understand. It's all just the beginning. So, uh, I mean, I have a comment. That's nothing to do with this, but I do feel compelled to comment on this pretty book other thing. Um, this is one of the most complicated questions you will ever find in philosophy and in religious literature. <clears throat> and trust me, like for me personally, I think many questions that people have trouble, like problem of evil, you know, uh, the existence of God, I personally think those questions are very easy to answer. The free will and other question, this is probably one of the most hardest questions. I've ever tried. I've read Ghazali, I've read Kant, I've read all these philosophers, and believe me, your mind just gets <laughs> your mind just gets like very confused after a while. Like it just hard. So that was a nice attempt to uh, <laughs> and I don't mean this with all due respect, it was a nice attempt to try to tie that question. But if you start down that rabbit hole, you're gonna end up you might end up causing more harm than <laughs> trying to answer that question. Because yeah. the the answers that are proposed to by even our own religious scholars, most people don't have those tools to handle those explanations. So I just kind of like that. So go down something. So scholars have attempted excellent points. We'll never grasp. So when we understand Islam, we need to understand it constantly with reference to Allah. Meaning that, see, that's why it's, everything has to be grounded in the knowledge of Allah and His attributes. Meaning. If I understand that Allah has infinite knowledge and his plans are infinite and his wisdom is infinite, then I understand that whatever he gives me is limited and it doesn't grasp the picture. That's very significant. Does that mean we don't attempt? We do attempt. Otherwise, the scholars would not have approached it. Right? Now, the fact that it's a comp my understanding that it's complex doesn't mean I don't attempt to gain something that will help me in at least getting closer. Right. So when I spoke of, for example, you know, because this because questions can throw off people as well. They say, wait a minute, if Qadr, which means determined in Islam, Qadr al-Shaykh is to precisely decide it and determine, they start seeing contradictions as well. They start saying, well, wait a minute, because simple minds, right? They're not Ghazali, who now with his profound exploration reached the conclusion, this is it's because of the effort he made. If we made no effort and we said, wait a minute, it's determined, but then you're telling me, God can change it, make up your mind. What answer do I have for somebody like this except to say, hey, listen, as I'm talking to a child, including me, I'm a child, it's like a mesh. Okay? If not it, but think of it as a simple computer program with if then. That's why I use that example just to explain this. Listen, you're also making choices. Which one do you take? And that's part of the qadam. Simplistic, superficial thing, but then even the dua can just change that direction because that's the statement of the Prophet. He literally says, you can change it with du'a, but less that we have contradictions, 
we understand that it's more complex than, than that, as being more than just predetermined conditions only. Because that's a very dangerous thing. That's why I said, I'm with you 100%. I understand that. But, but it's just giving additional ways of imagining, expanding the range of concepts, the concept of other elements. I understand that, but it kind of, so you mentioned like certainty, right? And like oftentimes when it comes to certainty, why do we feel the need for certainty? It's because we have doubt in the thing that we're questioning, right? So for example, like most of us here probably don't understand how cars work, right? But we trust that the manufacturer, you know, whoever sold us the car, the car will work, the car will run, everything will work. But when it comes to like a love, right, there's always this doubt like, hmm, did Allah make the world really as good as it did? Or did the Prophet really tell me everything? Or did he just leave something out? Like, I mean, this, this, this happened in the, this happened like a couple days ago, so this is on the top of my head. You know, the question of Allah's mercy, right? So oftentimes people, you know, one of the questions that trumps people is uh, the quote-unquote problem of evil, right? Like, oh, is Allah really out to get, get us, right? And um, one question that people think of, like, in the Quran, right? Um, well, in the Quran, in Islamic law, right? When women are on their menstrual cycle, right? They don't pray. They don't have to make up their prayers, right? But they make up their fasts. Now, logically speaking, that may sound, sound weird to people, right? Like, why is Allah telling me not to pray, but to make up the fasts? Allah is more important than the fasts. Why would he do that? And that's, and notice how I said the question, why is Allah depriving me of that, right? And this is a question that has come up in people's minds. But then if you think about it, right, from the lens that no, Allah is being merciful. You know, there's 17 farad rakas for the five prayers. 17 times five is 85. Now, for a menstrual cycle, it can last for several days. You know, let's take an average, 255 rakas just for the farad. That's not including the sunnah. That's not including the witr, right? Now, could you imagine if you had to make all that up and, you know, for the rest of your life, whereas for a Ramadan fast, is set at a number 30 per year, which you can make up at any time of the year, by the way. You know? So Allah is making it easier for you in that way. But if you have, if you come in with a mindset that, hmm, is Allah really out for me or is he out to get me? You'll see that scenario and you'll be like, why is Allah taking that away from me instead of, oh, thank you for making it so easy? Yeah. You know? Beautiful examples. Many things will never, they're intended by Allah for us not to understand them. But also keep in mind, some of the concepts that are part of our human experience, that we're constantly confronting, even the question of evil, when we give people certain analogies, certain, just kind of, it's not going to be ever the full explanation. We already grounded ourselves in that. It might help them just to appreciate the complexity, that's all. As opposed to leaving sometimes people stranded with no, right? That's, that's all I'm trying to say, but I'm with you 100% Shankar's on this. Buddy. I'll go back to Shankar's too. I'll go sister and then go. Thank you so much. It's my first pleasure uh, or discussion with uh, my children and my husband. I have the ability to come and have a great mercy to you and everybody. I just wanted to sort of react to the prior comment and say that I think it's extremely important to never put out
in Islam, we listen and we learn and we believe with our heart and not with our mind, and that's also critical. It's also a source of humility, it's a source of, of being connected with our root and our soul, which is everlasting and will be the judgment of Allah. So I just I, I really wanted to emphasize that also as a mother who engages with her children on um, deep, deeply philosophical aspects of Islam in ways that they understand. I think that our faith is 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 vast, it is complex, but it is also extremely easy to implement. Um, and I think that that, that is that is incontrovertible truth. I think also that it's important to say that faith and belief is is something that we accept and we pursue and we strive towards and we will never deeply understand and that's also deeply rooted in in the in the acceptance that the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something that like the universe is beyond our comprehension. And so I think that those are sort of all the things of faith and practice that as much as we will seek as believers to engage and understand to purify our hearts and to be on the path, that, that those truths are also part of our humility and faith. And um, I just really would like to emphasize again that, that there is no aspect of our practice that is not attainable by even the most simple and unlettered and simple mind. And so I think that this discussion is beautiful, and I love the little boys who were here earlier, I don't know if they're still here, but like it just that this even discussion is, is attainable for, for everybody and all generations and all backgrounds and all uh, faith and all faiths too, all kinds of people. So I, I just really wanted to share that thought because I believe in people and I think that the points that you made today. So look, this is really beautiful. It also opens up everything you hit on. So look, we're really grateful. Good to see you, Mr. Sunil. Um, but also, like here, I wanted to just kind of re-emphasize a key point she made about the channels of knowledge, right? Oftentimes, especially modern matters, think of intellectual tools. But even within those, we're at different levels. And Allah gives everybody what they need, as long as they open their intellect. But what about the channel of the heart? that can grasp truth. You know that simple eight-year-old you know, woman or man, the humble that worships Allah day and night? You might not have read a book. They grasp truths experientially, spiritually, that, that, that kind of breaks through all these intellectual barriers and they're in, 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 in just they're accessing it because of the experiences. So let us not neglect this. And it's profound and it cannot even be articulated in words, in intellectual words or in jargon, because they're experiencing it and they open their hearts and they're making an effort. And the experience is distinct from everybody else's experience. Even if two people are worshiping at the same level, reading at the same level, their experiences and knowledge are entirely different. And that's the beauty and the complexity of the idea of knowledge, as far as Allah is concerned. It's not like our idea of knowledge, which is information. We process it differently. The analogy, notice the Quran is full of analogies. How do you understand Jannah? Can we understand Jannah? Yet Allah employs analogies to bring it closer to the heart and to the mouth. So that's an excellent point, well made, and I think also doesn't negate what Chavez was saying, which is some concepts we can, like, you know, some people, like, let us be, like, sometimes people need to be just be careful, 
because they can entangle themselves so much with certain philosophical concepts that, that it can throw them off or they'll leave. Or they'll leave, exactly. But it's also like we, on our part, however, duty, responsibility, that we give people what they need because otherwise if they're not finding the answers and we're not providing the experiences, they might be also like, you know, on the brink of also being broken or separated from this whole thing. So, for all beautiful input. I just have gone through this whole circle and I, I have just okay. found that it's important to simplify things. You, you just you don't need to go into a lot of details. Just the word one word Allah, if you understand what that means. Yeah. And because it starts, you know, if you if you don't know basic mathematics, how are you gonna do differential equations? And and this yeah. thing starts with faith. So if you actually believe that there is one Allah who controls everything and you believe in the judgment day, all of us here, if we actually, truly, actively believe that, we would have no fear. I don't mean no fear as in I don't need a seatbelt when I drive, but no fear of what will happen to us. But we know who is our Rab. Just that fundamental. And I think if you don't have that kind of direct connection and ownership of who you are as a creation of Allah, Getting into intellectual discussions, you know, we, we can all do that and we can enjoy it. And at different levels, people find it very necessary. But I think the, we have to keep coming back <coughs> to the basics first and get the fundamentals right. And that fundamental, like I just, when you made that statement at some point, it made me very scared. Like, why am I scared then? What, you know, if I really am a believer, why do I have all these worries? You know, I'm not looking for ornament, but I am worried about my 401k, and I am worried about my kids, and I am worried about, you know, we have those. So we have so much to work on just the fundamentals that we don't have right now. And I think that if you just keep working on that, hopefully the other details will fall in place a lot better. That's another excellent, excellent point. If we're not grounded, we cannot delve into the, like, the thoughts of questions and thoughts and shepherds at all. But also, like, look at this. We ground ourselves in Allah. A few things, first of all, happen. Intellectually, we're anchored. Because you know, it's like Allah has infinite knowledge. So naturally, it means I can never have full knowledge of every question because some people put it as a condition. If I don't understand this, I'm going to believe. Well, you're not going to believe that, right? Because it's incomprehensible. But does it mean we don't attempt? But it's about what we ground ourselves with. Here's something else that happens. When we open ourselves to faith, remember the word iman, amin. It is Allah Himself who starts to secure and fortify the heart. That even when you're confronted with questions that are overwhelming, <coughs> it doesn't shake you. Meaning that Allah, you remember the tree? The, you know, the example of the believer, like the tree, firmly rooted in the soil of faith, and then it branches out. But without the roots, the whole thing falls apart. That's why we fall apart with questions. Because we beautifully said it. We're not rooted in believing in Allah and we're not making an effort with this. That's what allows us to be strong enough. Because Allah, again, it's Him who fortifies the heart, secures it, and is really a guaranteed fruit of faith. Let me let me just go back to Okay. I'll go with Sadaq and then I'll go back Yeah, I think the question is that um, so you have natural effort to get things, to gain things, get things. 
as long as you are not obsessed. The thing is that things goes wrong and you leave the plan when you have over obsession, you obsess those things kind of things. So otherwise you stay in balance. Now my, my point is that the Qadr is a kind of a very complex issue uh, to understand. People have written hundreds and hundreds of books on that. But what helped me when I really tried to understand that, if I understand Tuhide Rububiya and Tuhide Abdullah, so that those are the things, what is Allah's role and what is my role? If we understand that Abdullah, so then we, it makes help, it, it will help you because some of the situation you explain about the Qadr, it may help, it may not help, or things can go worse, can make you worse in that way. So you have to understand what is the role of your creator and what is your responsibility to change your own life. You know, kind of things. People misuse that thing. Oh, uh, it didn't happen. It was in my Qadr, right? right? They never struggle. They never you make things. So people forget about, you know, law of cause and effect. So people need to understand those things before they make the statement. Oh, well, it was not in my color, that's why I didn't get it, because you didn't put your efforts in it. And that's one of the dangers of reducing Right. On the question of color, to the simplistic linguistical definition of color, which is Allah decreed every day, so, so what role do I have? That's extremely dangerous. Extremely dangerous concept. So that, exactly. So, Zakalukhim, again, for additional, that additional point, see the different aspects of it, then they're infinite. Talking eternal about this question, but it's all an attempt to gain just a deeper appreciation of it. Right. Right. Barakallah, sister. Well, let me ask you one thing. I've seen people saying very commonly, I swear to Allah, I won't do this thing, and I swear to Allah, I'll do that thing. But sometimes they do not say, I say the same swear, they do not follow that thing. What's the kafara for that? If someone say, I will. I swear to Allah, do this thing, and I'm, for some reason that person doesn't do that thing. What's the kapara for that thing? How the person can, I mean, if, if something's spreading on Allah and doing nothing, it's something very bad. So how? What's the well, first of all, let me let me just say it's a it's a um, there are different levels of oaths that we take, right? Part of the problem with um, we just got so. Um, used to making oaths about Allah just kind of with empty substance yeah. because of just language. And that's a very bad thing to do. Like just overall, we should never take an oath in Allah Azza unless it's a serious matter. But notice, so first of all, there's this issue generally of the misuse of the oath. Yeah. Right? Um, never ever engage in that sisters. Like just to just constantly say, Wallah, 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 Wallah. It's a it's a it's an awful thing that Allah is, that literally um, thinks about the anger of Allah Because what, what do we do then? What we do then is that we reduce the the the, the worth and the value and the magnitude of Allah's exaltedness by making it a commonplace thing to just swear by his name. To the point where people don't even think it seriously. True? Yeah. Now, there are matters in which times when we really, really need to make an oath to Allah and we're genuine, genuine about it, that we fail. First of all, Allah knows the intentions. 
right? Knows the intentions that when we made it seriously, uh, we couldn't do it. Or then there's a kafar. I need to look. Um, there's a verse on it. Let me look it up, inshallah, for you, and I'll get back to you. But do you see the difference between the two? Allah knows it. But one thing we need to abandon altogether is what? Just commonly misusing Allah's oath on everything, that, that it has no value whatsoever. But there are these particular times, inshallah. Look at the first one, and I'll share it with you, inshallah, after this. Okay. But does that make sense? On the oaths, it's a very serious matter, brothers and sisters, on oaths with Allah and Sajjah. I saw two hands. Then now I'm going to come back to you. Is there any other hand that is somebody that I speak? Go ahead. I'm going to come back to you. This is an interesting thing for a person who is discovered is the belief that the thing is unseen. That the essential thing. So we can, we can walk off from many questions and questions. And if we take it, Believe in unseen, you know, in the God, what the word says. That's a prerequisite for the entry into the, into, into the hands of Allah, to see, to believe in the unseen. But if we do that, you know, in the God, then we can be warped from all the anxieties and the questions. William. This is beautiful. And again, go back to Surah Al-Baqarah. First characteristic of the believer, it's a fundamental, it's the root. Because otherwise we're going to be battling with uncertainty throughout our lives. We don't have a way. We believe in the unknown. By the way, life is not just, remember we defined it before? It's translated as unseen. It's not really unseen. Life is what's hidden, what's concealed. In the knowledge of Allah, in the realm, the spiritual realm, right? There are many things that we will never know. So as a fundamental beginning point in the path of Islam is to believe in it. And then we start to explore, right? But to demand that we know it or to believe in it once we see it, it clearly breaks the tenets of Islam. You have to believe in it without seeing it, feeling it, or hearing it. Make sense? Jazakallah khair. It's the first characteristic described in Surah Al-Baqarah. That's what to test. Allah has revealed everything. Right now it's manifest, which is what the disbelievers ask. I want to see it. I want to fully get it before I believe. Then Allah says it doesn't, it's not a test anymore. Zakallah khair. Any other hand before I go to Okay, it's still on. Thank you. I didn't see it. Even the first person heard that it was Musa, I remember. When you were in the about about what? The title of the surah. Oh, the title. Right. This is small, right? So I was reading this surah and I went back to the last surah. So for me, the small here is more um, original. Original. Because <coughs> I am number 10, and I would say they can see the small. Mm-hmm. When I say original, most people are attaching this to all the He didn't say in the surah, they left everything. They left their house with their belong all of the time. But for me, this one is like an internet thinking. They are attaching to internet life. For me, this one, you know how this one works? It's, it's like they will look at all those original guys. They were attaching on this thing. 
So, to that him. again, it's just uh, right. So, you see, this is an example uh, of us digging, delving deeper when you spend time with the words of Allah, His verses, you deepen your spiritual awareness, intellectual awareness of it. You notice what just happened? So, since it was highlighting something about smoke, now if you just pass by the concept, yeah, it's smoke. That's it. You spend time with it, and you see the relationships, the connections that Allah is trying to establish. Why did he pick smoke? For the surah, he could have highlighted many other trials, signs of the day of judgment, other than smoke. Why would he highlight smoke? In a surah where he's talking about doubt and playing with doubt. SubhanAllah, it's a fitting, appropriate metaphor that is deeper than just the smoke. It's representation of things that are ephemeral, but also like blind you, you think it's a lot, but it's blinding you. It's like here is a consequence for your state of blindness. Is that correct? Excellent and point. Had more, if had left, so that, if Excellent point. So I saw a hand, inshallah, and then let's run. We have like dua. Yes. The dua is inshallah is going in. Yes. These days I'm working with children, so my question may also refer to them. Uh, you just refer. Uh, when I which Allah speaks of earth and heaven and many things in between, which is not for play. Yeah. The current science is expanding our knowledge of <coughs> the things in between. Every day we are knowing new Milky Ways, new planets new suns, new black holes, and we are realizing that our existence of this earth is just a minute particle, and our existence is minutest particle. So just I want to know that what is the relationship of these minute particles with such vastness which is in between heaven uh, we are so as one. What, what, why, what is our relationship? Does Quran say something? Our relationship to what exactly? The, the things <laughs> in between earth and the heaven, which is very, very, very fast, uninventable. Why they have been created? What is their relationship <laughs> with us? Really, does Quran say anything? Yeah, it does. It does to it. Sure. Okay. So first of all, you, you say that Allah did not create anything randomly, everything has purpose, for sure. That's a certainty that Allah has established. Um, there are things that are light, unknown to us, as to their specific functionality. Well, here's what we know. Two other concepts that we know from the Quran. First of all, Allah says everything in the heavens and the earth worships Allah. It's as simple as that. Including the ants and the jinn. Well, the jinn has choice like us. Put that example aside. The star and the molecule of the air still worships Allah and the leaf on the tree worships Allah. <coughs> other substances in the heavens and the earth that we don't know about, everything adores and worships Allah. So it's created to worship Allah. That's one relationship we have with it, and that's one of the main purposes of its existence. But the second is that 
the human being has been elevated above all other creation by the intellect and the, and the free will. That is a distinct feature, and we were created, when they say, by the way, the image of God, the way we understand it is that we've been grounded, or within us, Allah planted signatures of his elements that we can become, start to fulfill um, in, a, in a human, in a, a human kind of, in a, in a human level, uh, those attributes of Allah within ourselves. Make sense? So Allah planted within us the capacity for mercy, for compassion, for creativity, for making, producing, for strength. These are not possible without Allah, right? They can never be attained at a divine level, but Allah placed those seeds within the human being only, that we can assemble this capacity and fulfill it in our lives, actualize it in our lives. So the human being has the choice to ascend or descend. Other creation don't necessarily have that choice. So they're like the angels. The angels just worship Allah, fulfill the commands of Allah and such. The human being, they're not given choice. The human being has choice. So it's been elevated by the angels. Because when he makes the <coughs> choices with Allah, he's elevated above the angels, or he descends below them. But no other creature has been given that honor as khulafa. Allah calls us the khulafa, the vicegerents of Allah. On this earth, and Allah is intended to us to be tiny. Because that humbles us. And that reminds us that Allah has put all this creation to our service. But there's also worlds that are beyond us, we'll never comprehend because Allah creates. But Allah doesn't create randomly, as you stated. And the only thing we know that they worship Allah. But they're not within our reach or grasp necessarily. Maybe one day we'll expand our reach as we have done in the galaxies and, 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 and we'll, we'll come closer and closer. But we'll never comprehend it. So it's still in the hymn. In the knowledge of the unknown. Um, one final point, it shows. I just I wanted to. Uh, you want to say so something? Look at the, if you look at the the earth and heaven and all those things, everything is in motion. I mean, if you look at the big, you know, whole picture of the universe, everything is in motion. Yes. And if you go back to the atomic level, every minute Particle in atom is in motion. I don't know how many electrons are moving in my head right now I'm talking. So everything is an emotion. Who controls that motion? Yeah. If somebody <laughs> is there who controls this motion. If you're driving a car, car in motion, if you are not driving properly, you're going to end up in an accident. Just look at that way. So those, those things are under the Allah's direction, which is people call it worshipping Allah or command of Allah. They are fulfilling the command of Allah, kind of a thing. So I think that we have to look at that way. Everything is, is has a, some external uh, control of the things. We cannot, we cannot run our life in that way. Tuba is one of the nations, prior nations. It's like saying Ad Thamud. And there's Qaum Tuba who also rebelled and were. And I want a small word said also about the creation. Who was Astawa and Samar? Or he had the fun. 
the board directed to, 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 to the skies and it was just smoke, it was chaos. But we, and here the fun, it was just chaos. The fun. Atiyah, Atiyah, come on. Tawan Aw Karhan, come willingly or unwillingly. Then the both the earth and the sun we are willing. That means it was that is chaos. What we said, chaos and cosmos. It was made over the chaos and God made cosmos from this chaos. God made cosmos. So there is no question. I mean, if we say because our intellect, the present intellect, whatever it is, the highest intellect is not comprehending the full discourse of Allah. There. <laughs> That's a very example of this punishing of this note. Very important thing to communicate to our children as well. The more we grant ourselves the knowledge of Allah. Understand his vastness, it's our limitation. The more they'll be settled when they are confronting uncertainty. Does that make sense? So, we explain to them, we put them through experiences, right, and everybody else, but with the knowledge and the awareness that Allah's knowledge is infinite, that things, everything is fulfilled still, will, will always be unknown to us. Make sense? Barakallah And sister, on, on that verse, verse 89. Um, so there's three. One of them is really the, the one that is gold, but I was also trying to think of the other two. So Allah speaks of three ways. Now, as I said, not every oath, right? Allah says, first of all, for the oaths that are unintentional, don't worry about it. Like, eh, he said, they didn't mean it. But Allah says, you resolve yourself, let's say, to, I don't know, if you, uh, you do your homework, I'll take you on a trip. You, you meant it. But he couldn't fulfill them. Allah says, feeding 10 people, very simple. Um, feeding a slave, not possible, right? <laughs> Allah's, <clears throat> okay. Um, or fasting few days. Eight days. The first is 89. And Allah says it with love, also like using <coughs> like the unintentional ones. Um, so 89 Surah Al Ma'idah. Um, elaborates on the concept of oaths in Islam. Just being careful, though, but again, taking an oath of Allah as a um, We'll talk about it next time, shall we, about the operation of Allah as a How every second, not just being maintained, every moment of time, check this out, Allah creates and destroys. Every moment. As if it's a new existence that emerges every moment. And by the way, if you're if you're still doubting, you say, "Why well, I'm not being created and die?" Check your skin. Millions of cells die every moment. Millions come to life every moment. Can you imagine if everything in creation is happening that way? Literally every moment, we're being recreated. It's a it's an emerging universe that comes out of Allah creating because Allah doesn't create once. Allah's constantly khalaq, khalaq. Constantly creating and taking life and giving life. Every single thing is constantly reproduced every moment we live. That's the power of Allah. Isn't it? Every really year, beyond us. Every year we lose <laughs> a pound to one and a half skin yeah. and it regrows. It's amazing. So it hard depends on the, the size of the body. Barakallah fikum. Barakallah fikum. Shalom. Request for John. What's in Yeah. So this is a very good friend of mine who died very young, uh, seven years ago today. Was, uh, his name is Tanmir uh, Ziyad. He was the kindest person I knew and, and the smartest person I knew. He was actually a NASA scientist. 
uh, left very young kids, and uh, if he was alive, I would have definitely forced him to come to this gathering. Uh, since he's not, I, I would like to ask you to get him be part of this. Uh, and Alhamdulillah's family has done well, and you know, everything was okay, but I on this morning to study your word, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we ask Ya Allah that you accept us, Ya Allah, among the righteous, that you join us with the righteous, that you join us with Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Ya Allah, fortify our hearts with certainty. Ya Allah, fortify our hearts with certainty. Guide us, Ya Allah, to the straight path. Guide us to Jannah, Ya Allah. And grant us the company of each other in Jannah to find us, Ya Allah, in the companionship of Rasulullah Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Ya Allah, be happy with us. Guide us and guide our parents and guide our children. Surround us with your mercy and your affection and your care, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, Ya Allah, we ask, Ya Allah, we beseech, Ya Allah, that you bestow your mercy upon the soul of Sadat al-Rain, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, bestow your mercy upon the soul, Ya Allah. Expand his grave, Ya Allah. Make it an abode from the abodes of paradise, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, grant him the companionship and the assembly of the Prophet, the companionship of his family and his children, Ya Allah. Grant him eternal joy, protect him, Ya Allah, from grief and fear and anxiety, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, put him under your shade on the day when there is no shade but your shade, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, Ya Allah, bestow your mercy upon all the believing people who have died, Ya Allah, who have passed away, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, surround them with your mercy. Grant their families patience and fortitude to endure their loss, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, bless this community, Ya Allah. Bless this community, Ya Allah. Protect us, Ya Allah. Save us, Ya Allah, from all afflictions, Ya Allah. Cure the sick amongst us, Ya Allah. Cure, Ya Allah, our dear brother, Sadr Ya Allah, grant them full healing and recovery, Ya Allah, before and through and after his surgery, Ya Allah. Strengthen him and strengthen all of us, Ya Allah, with patience and faith. And Ya Allah, we ask, Ya Allah, that you assemble us, Ya Allah, once again, Ya Allah, in the companionship of Rasulullah Muhammad, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that you bless us, that you bless this masjid. Allahumma ameen. Allahumma ameen. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Muhammad. Next time, we will do sort of the jafia. Uh, again, another sort of how I'm even showing. Until next time, Sheldon joins for us. Yeah. <laughs>